Good morning, church. Let's uh, finish up this section of 1 Peter today, Lord willing. Let's read our, our text from 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, verses 12 through 19. 1 Peter chapter 4, starting at verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial where, when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian... Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let's pray together. Father, speak to us today from your word. Give us ears to hear and hearts to embrace your life-changing, soul-sanctifying truth for our good and your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. You may be seated. Amos, I appreciate you, buddy, for a lot of reasons. I appreciate you. Thank you for the background on Zechariah. What, what a great illustration of the truth of the title of Sally Lord-Jones' children's book, Every Story Whispers His Name. It really does. It really does. I mean, Jesus wasn't um, uh, playing games with the two on the Emmaus Road when he... Uh, taught the scriptures to him and showed them everything about himself from the Old Testament. So uh, thank you for that reminder, Amos. And I'm also thankful for, for another reason. I probably wouldn't have gotten into the Founders Conference a couple of weeks ago if you hadn't been with me, because I think I was the only clean-shaven guy there. I mean, good grief. These Reformed Baptists, all these Spurgeon wannabes, you know, with the beards and everything. Uh, so I'm so thankful you, I was able to point to you. Look, look, look. Okay. Uh, I've got, I know a bearded friend. I have a bearded brother here. Okay. And, and they graciously let me in without my beard. Okay, so, so man, you, you wouldn't believe all the beards in that conference. It was unbelievable. I thought I was in a forest or something. There we go. But it was a great conference and a uh, uh, great conference. All right, let's, uh, let's just quickly, I, I know we, we've done 10 of these. I've got 12. We only got two more today. And so to uh, get the sermon at the proper length, we need to do a, we need to do a brief review, okay? Um, we, we've, we've seen so far from verse 12 that when it comes to fiery trials, number one, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. It's, this is not strange. Why? Because, number one, Jesus said they would come because of our connection with him. Because of our relationship with him, these trials will come. Number two, God often tests his people through trials in order to prove the genuineness of their faith. And third, God sends trials to mature us, to make us stronger, to grow us, to strengthen us, to make us more like Jesus. Secondly, we've seen that we should 
Instead of being surprised, we should rejoice. We should rejoice that we share the sufferings of Christ. Why? Because Jesus, uh, in, in so, some unique way, identifies us when we suffer for him. And we pointed that out or demonstrated that based on what Jesus said to Saul when he knocked him off his horse, blinded him, and saved him. He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Okay, so Saul's persecution of the church was a direct persecution of Jesus. Uh, And a second reason we should rejoice is, according to Romans 5, suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Third, we should stay focused in the midst of trials on God's end game. Jesus is coming back, and we win. That's the simplistic summary of that. Christ is returning. Our king is coming to consummate his kingdom, uh, and his enemies will be judged, will be cast into the lake of fire, and we win. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 and 7, we read, so we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart, no matter what's going on, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how rough it gets, no matter how fiery the trials are, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary, i.e. temporary, affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Anything we are enduring today does not compare to the glories that await us. We'll talk more about that today in these last two points. Uh, number four, we saw that we should receive the trial as a, as a blessing from verse 14. We should receive the trial as a blessing. This is what Jesus taught his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. This was Jesus' teaching, and Peter is just repeating it as a good student, a good disciple of his master. Number five, we are, Peter reminded us to know that God is with you in a very unique way. The spirit of glory and of God rests upon you when you suffer for the sake of Jesus. Number six, Peter exhorts us not to confuse suffering uh, for righteousness with suffering for sin. Verse 15, Peter seems to be saying in this verse more than just don't do these things, okay, which obviously we should hear and uh, heed, but he's because of the context of, of trials and sufferings, Peter is reminding us that he's not talking about suffering that comes from sinful actions. Peter's topic of discussion in this section is suffering as a Christian, which is stated very clearly in the very next verse. The Christian's calling is to suffer for righteousness, not for his sin. The good news is Jesus has already done that for us, (laughs) not for his sin, for even though he was just like us, yet it was without sin. He has suffered for our sin. And Peter stated that in the last chapter very straightforwardly in 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? That he might bring us to God.
Number seven, we were, we've been taught by Peter, uh, by the Holy Spirit through Peter, to not be ashamed when the trials come. Verse 16, don't be ashamed. When you stand for Christ and his truth, the world, count on it, the world will want to shame you. The world will want to shame you, cancel you, marginalize you, uh, push you out of the public square. Uh, the world will want to shame us when we stand for Jesus and his truth. And many, 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 sadly, many professing Christians give in at this point because too many professing believers want to be liked by the world. Mastin and Jenny just saw you, brother. Man, what a blessing. God bless you. Good to see you. <laughs> Man, heart just leapt up, and I, now I know why. Okay. Um, James 4.4, 4. you adulterous people, James says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. If one of your goals in life is to be liked by the world, not a good sign. Not a good sign at all. The world wants to shame you. Don't be. Don't be. Jesus was not ashamed to die for us. Let us not be ashamed to live for him no matter the cost. No matter what the world says. No matter what the world does. Don't ever be ashamed, dear church family, of representing Christ. Listen, you are living for the greatest person and the greatest endeavor in the history of mankind. Do not be ashamed of that. Number eight, verse 16, Peter told us to glorify God. Don't be ashamed. Instead, glorify God. Our life purpose, our chief end, the chief end of man is not canceled when suffering comes. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And we're to stay the course on that no matter what comes, no matter the hardships. Number nine, we're to receive the trial as discipline. Verse 17, be thankful, beloved, be thankful for this proof that you are God's child. Last week we read Hebrews 12, it's very clear about this. God, good fathers discipline their children and God is the perfect father. We should be thankful that God loves us enough to discipline us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. And last, finally, last week, number 10, we said that uh, the 10th response, the 10th right response uh, to trials is that we should be thankful that we're not lost. Be thankful that we're not lost people. Because if you think things sometimes get rough for the children of God. Just think about what awaits those who reject him. And it won't be temporary. It won't be a light momentary affliction. It'll be forever. And we uh, read some horrific verses last week. So if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go back. Uh, and catch up. Okay, so today we're going to finish our list. Got two more on our list, so uh, let's finish it up, uh, Lord willing. Number 11, verse 19, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will. Well, right there, we could do a whole sermon right there. Suffering is according to God's will. 
It, it, it is God's will sometimes that his people suffer. That, that's his will, okay? Um, let, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls. So number 11, the 11th right response to fiery trials is to trust God. Trust God. God is faithful. God is faithful over and over again. The Bible affirms this. Numbers 23, 19. God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Rhetorical questions, the answer to which is yes, he will do what he said. He will fulfill what he has spoken about. Deuteronomy 7, 9, know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. 1 Corinthians 1, 9, God is faithful. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son. Jesus Christ, our Lord. 2 Thessalonians 3.3, 3, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. On and on we could go, citing scriptures about the great faithfulness of God. The hymn writers obviously picked up on it. Great is thy faithfulness. O God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. Thou hast, as thou hast been, thou forever will be. The theologian and commentator Bob Utley wrote this. It is the unchanging character of God that is the sure hope of every believer. God will do what he has said he will do. Beloved, you can count on it. You can count on it. And I pray that God will grant us the grace to stay firm in our commitment to our faithful creator. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He will complete the work that he began in us. He will work all things for good. He will bring us to our glorious eternal home. Therefore, what was written about the blessed man in Psalm 112 can also be true of us. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. How comforting is that? R.C. Sproul said, quote, we can trust God because he is worthy of our trust. He is faithful, and trusting him is the only answer I know to the reality of suffering in this world. As Dr. Tom Nettles said at the Founders Conference a couple of weeks ago, don't worry about suffering. It will only last until you die. <laughs> and, and, you know, the, the, the immature Christian says, oh, until I die my whole life, think about your next life. That's why we've been memorizing Colossians 2. Set your mind on things above. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. And that's the rest of your life, which never ends. 
We tend to be too focused on the temporary. Too focused on the things that are going to end. Too focused on the things that aren't going to last. So, beloved, beg God for grace to get you through the valleys. But don't be really, really concerned about them. Because when you die, they'll be over. They'll be over. And then for the Christian, when this life is over, it's all glory and beauty and wonder and joy forever. No more curse. No more crying. No more pain. No more suffering. The prophet Isaiah wrote about it in Isaiah 65, verses 17 to 19. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy. And her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. I'm really enjoying a, uh, a devotional book by Glenn Scribner uh, entitled Reading Between the Lines. It comes in two volumes, volume one, 180-something readings to the New Testament, and volume two, 180-something readings to the Old Testament or through the New Testament, Old Testament first, New Testament second. And in the year, you've hit the highlights of the Bible. You've, you've, you, you haven't read every verse of the Bible. That's a whole other reading plan. But with this, this, these devotionals help you hit the highlights of the whole Bible in a year. And commenting on, on these words by Isaiah, Scribner writes this. In a culture that says, make the most of now... Isaiah begs to differ. You don't need to see see the Himalayas before you die. You can see them afterwards in the new earth. Now ponder that. That just freed up my travel budget totally. I can see it later. I can see the Himalayas later in the new earth. Okay. You don't need to despair when your body stops working. It will start up again. You can mourn your loved ones who have died in Christ, but you will hold them in your arms once again. This body, this kind of life in this world will be raised, redeemed, and renewed into even greater glory. Wow. I'm fairly confident that Peter read Isaiah and probably knew it pretty well because listen to what he says in his second letter, which, Lord willing, we will begin probably after Christmas. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 13. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth. Where did you read that? He read that in Isaiah. We are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Hallelujah. So dearly beloved, trust God in response to your trials and hardships and difficulties. 
that come in this life for being a Christian, trust God through them. Be like your Savior who entrusted his soul to a faithful creator. Finally, our last response, number 12, our last proper response to fiery trials. Just keep doing good. Just keep doing good. That's what I have in my mind when I end my emails to you, pressing on with you, with our eyes on Jesus. Keep doing good. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator, creator while, while doing good. J.P. Lang wrote, trust in God and well-doing must be indissolubly united. A union that cannot be dissolved. A union that cannot be broken. These two actions go together. Trusting God and doing good. They're linked. They're partners. They're uh, a, a package deal. They go together. People, and here's why that is. Listen, listen to me now. Work with me. People who trust God with all that they are tend to do more good. Now, Pastor Butch, why do you say that? Here's why I say that. Because people who are trusting God with all that they are are not dominated by self-preservation. They know that their creator is taking care of them. They know they, they, they are focused on God preservation. People who are trusting God wholeheartedly are totally freed up to focus on others. It's the John the Baptist thing happening to us. We are decreasing. Jesus is increasing. And that increasing Jesus is spilling out through us onto others. See, trusting God totally, totally frees us up. It's beautiful. That's where we all want to be. And we, 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 right, we all go in and out of it, right? We haven't arrived. We're not going to arrive on this planet but as our trust in God increases, our capacity to do good to others and for others also increases because we are no longer worried about taking care of ourselves, making sure we get a good deal, making sure we are uh, getting what we deserve, which is... Hell, <laughs> really, in reality, okay. we've, we've stressed throughout our history of this church, a phrase that we want to eliminate from our vocabulary, vocabulary is, that's not fair. We, we don't want to say that, because what would fair be? The wages of sin is death. Eternal separation from God forever. That would be fair. That would be fair. God would be justified and righteous to do that. So we don't want fair. We want grace. We want mercy. And so as we trust God, 
we tend to, as our trust in God increases, our, our tendency to put ourselves first decreases because we're not so much worried about self anymore as we are worried about others and concerned for others. Also, a second reason, people who are trusting God aren't paralyzed by fear. They're not paralyzed by fear, both the fear of others and the fear of wasting their lives. So, dear church family, don't, don't be crippled by thoughts of, and we hear this often, not a whole lot, but sometimes we hear this. Don't be crippled by thoughts of, what good am I doing? Kind of like Asaph. Remember Asaph in Psalm 73? He looked around at all the wicked people who were prospering and having abundant, what he thought were abundant lives and everything was going good for them and everything was working out for them. And he said in the middle of that psalm, before he came to his senses toward the end, he said, all in vain have I kept my heart clean. Here I am striving to be holy, striving to be like Jesus. And, 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 and it's worthless. It's, it's in vain. Nothing good is coming from it. All I get is hardship and trial and, 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 and rejection and, 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 and all, all in vain. It's in vain have I kept my heart clean. If you read the rest of that psalm, you'll find that he came to his senses. When? When he, when he came to the sanctuary. When he got with the people of God. When you isolate yourself, you, you, you're more tend, you're, you're more you have a greater tendency to go on pity parties. When I came to the sanctuary, I saw that I had it wrong. I'll read more of that at the benediction. We'll come back to that. So, beloved, here's my word to you that I've given to you many, many times. Keep plodding on. Day by day, step by step, little by little, eyes on Jesus doing good for God's glory. As Jesus said, let your life so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Your life as a Christian is never in vain. Never. No matter what kind of response you think you're getting, no matter what kind of reaction you think you're getting, no matter what kind of results don't seem to be happening. Your life as a child of God is never in vain. How do we know that? God said that. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. <clears throat> Why? Why? Because Jesus is alive. That was the whole subject of that chapter. And this, that's how Paul ended it. The whole subject of 1 Corinthians 15 is the resurrection. Our life is not in vain because Jesus is alive. And he is building his church. And believe it or not, he is using us. Yes. Yes, he is. He is. If we keep doing good, he's using us. He really, really is. He really is. Uh, 
get, get, quick example, recent example. All you VBS workers from last week, adult workers, adult teachers, youth helpers, all you dear, dear people who gave that time to our children. There is no, listen, there is no knowing. There is no knowing at this time what God did through you last week. But listen, you don't need to know that. You don't need to know that. Why? Results aren't up to you. Results aren't up to me. Results are up to God. I just got to keep doing good. You don't need to know right now. One day you will. One day you may have one of these glorious moments in heaven. Well, all the moments in heaven are going to be pretty glorious. But you're going to have one of these moments where, where somebody comes up to you and says, remember that lesson you gave me at VBS? God moved in my heart that day and did a unique work in my life. Maybe God saved him. Maybe God brought him back. Maybe God redirected their, who knows? But we don't need to know right now. You don't need to know right now. That's why we were never, never, ever into numbers, ever. We never reported numbers after camps or weekends or retreats. Or, never. Why? Because we don't need to know right now. In fact, sometimes we don't need to. What did Jesus say? What did Jesus say? What did Jesus say? John, or I think it's John chapter 8. It says that, that, that many believed in him. And sometimes the word believe in the Bible means phony belief. Sometimes it means real belief. But I think it's around verse 32 in John chapter 8. Jesus gives us the definition of real belief. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Here, here, here's how we know. If you abide in my word, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And how do we know who abided when we get to heaven? We don't need to know right now. We don't need to. We, now, we can make a good guess, a pretty good human, limited guess by some people, by the fruit of their life. Yes, of course. But totally 100%, not till heaven. So don't worry about knowing the results right now. You don't need to know that. All you need to know today is that Jesus was watching you. And he's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. And he is alive. And he has saved you and instructed you to let your light shine before others. So that his father and our father in heaven will be glorified. That's all you need to know right now. And one day he's coming back. And he's going to make everything right. And all the scales will be balanced. And he will separate the sheep from the goats, the saved from the lost. And, he will be, and you will be with him and the rest of his people in the new heavens and the new earth. So dearly beloved, that's basically all you need to know right now. And please, please, please don't be one of the nitpicky types that are trying to hear what I'm not saying, okay? I'm not saying you don't need to grow in your knowledge of God and learn more things. I'm not saying you don't need to know anything else, okay? We all need to keep learning. We all need to keep growing. 
We all need to keep maturing in the knowledge of God and his ways. So that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is this. In order to live for Jesus in a confident, wholehearted, God-glorifying, others-centered way in this hostile, God-hating, church-hating, true church-hating world. So, some, some churches, in quotes, are really loved by the world, okay? And, and, and you, I, I won't get into what, what, which ones they are today, maybe later. But, oh man, I got off my train of thought. Let me start over. Those phony churches really messed me up, really got me messed up, okay? In order to live for Jesus in a confident, wholehearted, God-glorifying, others-centered way in this hostile, God-hating world, you just need to know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is the absolute Lord of everything and that he has defeated sin, death, Satan, and hell. And you belong to him. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. You belong to Jesus. You are his, his precious possession. You are his very own possession. You belong to the risen king who is preparing a place for you. Our future could not be brighter no matter what fiery trials we encounter in this fallen world. That's all you need to know to live properly. So the big question this morning is, do you belong to him? And then if you do, as we live this God-honoring life, that the the confidence with, with the confidence that, that is breeded by being Jesus' possession. As we live this life, He graciously and wonderfully teaches us all this wonderful truth about Him and about His ways. And our life gets richer. And richer, not easier and easier, or wealthier and wealthier, but richer and deeper and more steadfast and more joyful. Our stand on the rock of Jesus gets stronger and firmer as we grow. So I really hope the Holy Spirit has helped you delineate what I've just said in the last five minutes or so. I haven't made your faith a simplistic thing where you, it's just Jesus is Lord and that's it. No, you will learn and, and, and know more things, okay? Knowledge is important to the Lord. We will know more things. But I'm talking about living 
the basics for living a confident life. Knowing that Jesus is king and you belong to him and no one or no thing can take that away from you. So press on, dear church. Eyes on Jesus. Doing good for his glory. No matter what. No matter what trials come your way. Keep glorifying God and trusting Him. Like we sang a couple of weeks ago when we began this section of Scripture. Fear not, I am with thee. Oh, be not dismayed, for I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my gracious, omnipotent hand. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not harm thee. I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. The soul that on Jesus doth lean for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell, should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. I pray, dear brothers and sisters, that you will know that truth deep, deep in your heart. And it will cause you to live confidently for Jesus, no matter what. Okay, let, let's just conclude our three weeks in this passage by, by summing it up. Don't be surprised when you experience hardships. It comes with being a Christian. It comes with the deal. Jesus didn't give us a bait and switch like the health and wealth hucksters. He told us up front, it comes with the deal of being saved. Jesus suffered, so will we. Jesus was hated and persecuted, we will be also. So don't think it's strange when God sends trials our way. In fact, it's a blessing. And God uses them to mature us, to grow us, to strengthen us, and to show forth the reality of our faith. We should not be ashamed of suffering. Jesus wasn't. Instead, praise God for the joy of, of belonging to him. And sharing in the sufferings of God's Son. God disciplines His people through trials for their good. Because He's a loving Father. He punishes severely and eternally those who reject His gospel. We are exhorted to keep trusting God and keep doing good. So there you have those eight verses in a nutshell. So if you're not a Christian... Confess Jesus today. Today. Today's the day of salvation. And avoid the eternal, unending punishment that awaits all non-believers. If you are a Christian, press on. <laughs> Keep doing good. Keep your gaze fixed on Jesus. Keep trusting our faithful God. And keep letting your light shine for a world that desperately needs the glory of God. 
Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this amazing section of Scripture. Thank you for the encouragement we've gleaned from it. I pray, God, that as a result of our study, the confidence of believers in our midst has been strengthened. Help us, Father. Grow us. Deepen our trust in you. And equip us to keep doing good. That others may see your glory. Thank you, Father. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.